This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 112. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the show. This is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited you're here to learn about apartment building investing. Today, I have with me Ivan Barrett. He has gone from a duplex to owning over 2,600 units in Indiana and Ohio. So his journey is just fascinating, especially because he was thinking big in the beginning, but then still started off with a duplex, which is really, really encouraging. And his strategy is was one of using hard money to get into the apartment buildings. And at one point he was like, man, I got to grow this thing. And he describes how he made the transition into raising money. Not always an easy transition to do. And he's already raised over $10 million in equity since that decision. And the sky is literally the limit. So he talks about how he got into it, what strategy he used exactly with the hard money, because anyone can use that strategy, get into multifamily. That builds up track record. And now he gets into raising money and then he's scaling the business. He created a property management company he's going for more. So let's get right into the interview with Ivan Barrett. Ivan, welcome very much to the show. Michael, it is so awesome to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Just to introduce yourself real quick before we dive into your story. Sure. Ivan Barrett, founder and CEO of Barrett Asset Management. We call it BAM now. Been in real estate most of my life. Took the plunge, got the urge to start my own company at the bottom of the last cycle, the Great Recession in 2010. And from there, now we are $100 million in assets under management for ourselves and also a growing third-party management company as well. Really got started small, buying uh, my own duplex, buying another, renovating units and managing for other people and scaled it to uh, 61 employees and about 2,700 units total so far. That's crazy stuff, Ivan. First of all, your timing, of course, was impeccable to start in 2010. So that's awesome right there. Thank and you. you guys started with a duplex. So how in the world, just talk about that, starting with a duplex and then going to where you are, 2,700 units. Just give us like the cliff notes on that. Yeah. Yeah. So the short story is I got out of college, wanted to be in real estate. My father helped me get my first duplex. I did the FHA and house hacked. So put it down as little as possible. Lived in one side and rented out the other. And really for the first eight years, I um, was distracted in speculative development, building condos, selling them. And in the great crash, had to do a lot of soul searching and hit the reset button on why I got into real estate in the first place, which was cash flow. Rediscovered my love for income property. Always wanted to go big. And that can be a trap, right? Because you're overwhelmed and you get bogged down in analysis paralysis. So one day it just dawned on me. My father used to always say the journey of 10,000 miles starts with the first step. And I said, okay, my journey of 10,000 units starts with my next couple, right? There was opportunities out there where I could find income producing property that I could rehab with hard money, refinance, and continue the process. All right. So you said that the you know, 10,000 steps or 10,000 units starts with your first deal, which is true, of course. I won't argue with you on there, but you know, I might argue with your choice of size, right? So if someone tells me they want 10,000 units and you start with a duplex, kind of go, huh, how long is that going to take? In your mind, why was starting with a duplex a good idea? And why did you not start something bigger? I just didn't know better at the time. If I'd known then what I know now, I would have gone straight to 20, 30, 40 unit apartment complexes. My first big apartment deal came just about a year later, six units, then jumped to 35 and a 30. 
said I'd never do another small deal again and ended up buying a 15-unit deal I couldn't pass up and then really started syndicating projects at 60 units and continued to scale up from there. Last few deals have been 240, 250, and 302. Nice. That is very nice. Now, on the other hand, so you said if you know what you know now, you would have gone bigger. What is it that you would have done differently early on if you knew what you knew now? Well, there's a saying out there that uh, I needed to learn the hard way, but it takes the same amount of effort to close a larger deal as it does a smaller deal, as I'm sure you know. Just that one simple saying, knowing that and going out there and looking at the marketplace only makes sense to go after larger deals. That's true, but it requires more money. It does. Right? So yeah, I go after a 150 unit deal, but if I don't have the money or I don't have a way to get the money, I'm stuck. And it doesn't matter how big my mind is, right? So obviously one advantage of doing a duplex is you know, a lot of people either have the $25,000 to put down on it or they have someone that can help them with that and they don't have to go syndicate a deal, right? So that's obviously you don't have that with a duplex that you have for a much larger deal. Starting and just getting that momentum, I think, is more important than the size of the deal. For me, the first larger deal, 35 units at the time, seemed almost insurmountable and really had to swallow that fear and just keep moving. And knowing that it was a deal, having the confidence that because I knew I had a deal on the um, hook, that I would find the money. When did you start syndicating or when did you start using other people's money? At what point was that? Was that the 35? So, yeah, technically I would say using hard money to renovate some of those first uh, few deals to get cash and refinancing to get cash flow. Um, the 35 unit deal, the first deal I found a partner. And that's when I had to start networking and seeking out other people's money. Otherwise, there was no way I would have been able to get the deal done. Oh, interesting. Okay, let's talk about how you started because there's a lot of people that get into it in a variety of different ways and you decide to use hard money to get into these smaller apartment building deals. Can you talk about how that worked and why it worked? Yeah, I'm happy to elaborate on that. At the time, I, I think the cycle through research, through networking, through just asking people in the industry, hey, where do you get your hard money from? I was able to find a, a great lender that was willing to put up all the cash needed for acquisition, renovation, and even interest carry for six to nine months while I got the deal leased up. Now it's a little bit different. Money's a little bit easier to find and, and good deals are, are harder. And so I think in this market today, being able to really stay disciplined and understand you have to kiss a lot of toads will help finally find that diamond in the rough. The other side of the conversation is getting that capital in the door. So how did it work with hard money loan. Tell us kind of how that worked. What kind of project did you have to do? How long was the term? How did you finance out? Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about what you did there in those, some of those smaller deals. Yeah. So the biggest deal that hard money loan on was only six units. So I'm happy to hang out on six units as long as you like. But basically, the equation I used was a very simple equation a flipper might use using that after repair value multiplying that by a discount rate, I, in most cases at that time, I was using 0.6 or 0.65. So I was getting a, a 35 to 40% margin in there, then subtracting repairs. And on the other end of it, I would look at, if I'm able to execute on the improvements, what sort of conservative rents can I expect to get on this property? And if at lease up, I was in the black and cash flow while servicing that hard money loan, I would deal. I sort of uh, combined that from a flipper formula I found, a Dave Lindahl story or two, and said, okay, I'm going to take the plunge here and move forward if I can find 
something that allows for that question. So basically, I had to really find a, a problem asset. A six-unit deal here in Indy, I bought one for 150000 put nearly another 100000 into it to get it up and, and running, and sold that four and a half years later for 350000 Nice. That's very nice. And then did you finance out of that hard money loan? Uh, yes. Good point. Thank you, Michael. Uh, along the way, about nine months into it, I took that new trailing NOI to a community bank. It was able to refinance out of the hard money loan, which really surged my cash flow once I put that high interest debt to rest. And even then, you know, I, I couldn't pull a lot of cash out at the time. It was now 2012 or so. At that time, it was still tough to get appraisals. So I was only able to roll over the debt, but had really great cash flow from then on. And then now, as I've rolled into larger deals, I've looked to sell the smaller assets so that I can go to bigger staff-managed projects. Yeah, that's nice. So what happened is you got yourself into the game, right? You got this duplex, you got a six unit, they started getting progressively bigger, and now you start building up a track record, right? And so all of a sudden, first of all, your comfort zone expands, clearly. Absolutely. And you're like, man, I should be doing bigger deals now. And then you get to the point, okay, if I'm going to do bigger deals, I probably need to attract capital. So talk about the whole transition from doing the strategy that you did with the hard money loans, which worked great and probably would have continued to work great. But you're like, man, I really want to scale this up. In order to do that, I need to raise capital. Talk about the transition into that strategy. Convincing a hard money lender to loan you on a project that's today a problem and, and one day you hope to make it better and raising capital, there's a lot of similarities there. Raising capital for me is, has been sort of a business development sales strategy. So things like having a large pipeline of contacts, building on those contacts, asking people in my network for referrals, having lots of conversations with people I know in business and medicine and being very open about what I'm doing in a, what I would call a non-salesy or organic road or route rather, or method has really produced a lot of results. Just, it's not necessarily who you know, it's who you know and who they know. And continuing to just plug away at that on a consistent basis while I'm out there looking for deals has resulted in tens of millions of dollars of equity. I have yet to go to a big private equity company so it sounds to me like you're constantly, quote, raising money, though it seems to me like you're not actually out there raising money. You're simply building relationships with people. Can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like? As you go out into the world and you're thinking, hey, I, I want to build relationships, kind of what, what does that look like for you as you're, quote, raising money? You hit the nail on the head. It's so much more about building a relationship. Of course, explaining what you do, how you got there. People love to hear about past success and past failures. And Treating people well and working very hard to take care of them, it's no rocket science. It results in more relationships. A great example are physicians. Just a few years ago, I had only a couple of physician investors. And by treating them very well, building that trust. So you've kind of, we didn't just develop a specialty here, but for example, how do you approach doctors and physicians? Why are they interested in talking to you? The first thing I would do is if just one out of five expresses an interest, take them out for lunch or coffee or meet them in the evening after they get off work and, and let them know what, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and the returns you're seeking out, and that you're uh, always in the market for new capital relationships. And it's amazing what just one great relationship can do. And most of the time now, those doctors are introducing me to their friends that they're 
networking with around the operating table or around the clinic. And now it's just organically multiplying on its own. 30-second pitch is not the way I, I work. It's more of developing these relationships over time, delivering value, not just in real estate, but in being a good person and trying to help people. Even if they're sometimes not looking at a real estate deal I'm doing, I may offer to help them on other real estate deals they're evaluating. I may offer to um, educate them on on what a good real estate deal looks like or spend the time to explain what a cap rate is or what an IRR means. And you get two benefits of that. One, you really get to perfect your pitch in an authentic way. And two, those that do invest with you will be more educated, more apt to continue to invest with you. And, and that trust factor is what keeps that going. I find it interesting. You said something where you were helping them, you were providing value to them. A lot of people have this mindset of, I don't want to bug people. I feel like I don't want to sell them on something. I don't want to impose on them. They feel like they're intruding on someone and they're selling something that someone does not want. So they have this mindset about, hey, I have a hard time talking to people about raising money and use words like helping them. Why do you think that you're actually helping someone with money? How is that person, how is that doctor possibly how they can help me? But you said, you know, I'm trying to help them. What problems do they have as far as they're concerned? Why are they so grateful that you talk to them about this? They're constantly being bombarded by people that want their money. People that want to advise them, want to have them invest with them. And I would say probably 99 out of 100 times, it's a mediocre deal at best. So even if you can just give them a little education and a little insight as to how you might view an actual opportunity versus a mediocre deal, can help them distill other sponsors, other promoters, other slick operators from the, the ones that are out there doing it right. What your proposal is, hey, here's, you're really you're sharing your enthusiasm with people. Here's what we're doing. You say, hey, you know what? Let me take you out to lunch. I can educate you about multifamily investing, how to evaluate these deals. And you're not requiring them to invest with you. They're, so basically, you're giving them a free lesson, a free teaching. I had a doc uh, come to me because they wanted help in managing uh, an investment property that they were hoping to buy. Didn't have a deal lined up yet. Had an idea of what they wanted to do. And just by educating them on the differences between going out and buying a small deal yourself and then hiring a property management company versus participating in a syndication as an LP, I thought it went nowhere. You know, I thought that they were still going to go the third party route eventually. And a year later, the physicians invested in two deals with me just because I didn't go into the meeting under the impression that I was going to get their money or, or not add value in their lives. I went into it more of a, I can help you either way. I can show you what this looks like. I can tell you about some of the mistakes I made on small deals. And then they get to figure out, okay, I'm probably not an operator. I should be an impassive investor. And if Ivan's getting 15 plus IRR on his deals, this could be a great bucket for part of my wealth. Yeah, that's exactly right. I love that. And by the way, you said that you maybe made some mistakes along the way, Ivan. The worst one on the third bigger deal I bought, thinking that I could renovate the project out of cash flow. That was a, a killer mistake to learn. That almost sunk me. Thankfully, we were able to work our way out of it and a few other aspects of the deal saved me on it, saved my partner on it. That's definitely a mortal sin. Other mistakes I've made on the management side are numerous. I think a lot of management companies 
hope to use property management as a profit center. And what I've discovered is there's really no profit in property management. If you want to have great people and if you have the best, the cream of the crop managing your assets, there's not a lot of margin. So we use our management company more of a loss leader now. And what I mean by that is we don't look at it as a profit center. We say, how can we make this the best management machine possible? How can we hire the best people, have the best culture? And by doing that, uh, we have a much better execution of our assets, uh, which are really, for me and my investors, where, where the, um, the profit comes from. Yeah, that's 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 good. That's outstanding. Now, what what I what kind of what kind of aha moments have you have you had when you kind of said, "Oh my gosh, a light bulb just went off." All the flippers and speculators out there, when the crash happened, I realized I was going down the big hat no cattle real estate developer route and realized that I was doing a lot of things incorrectly. The aha moment, I forget which rich dad book I was rereading again, it really reinforced that cash flow is king. And if you can find a, a model that has recurring income, recurring cash flow, and you can build that model and figure out how to scale it, it's tougher. It takes longer to execute. But once that momentum really gets going, it's much harder to stop and it's much less sensitive to any sort of market disruption than continually looking for the next project to buy, improve, and sell. If all your deals are based on some sale out in the future, there's a lot of risk there when the market changes, not if. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And this is the fundamental flaw of house flippers, and we're all you know guilty sure. of it. I flipped three dozen houses, and I was making great money, but there was no residual from it, and it was a god awful amount of work with multifamily. It's yes, it's a lot of work to find that deal and then to work it. But once the property manager is in place, it's like my gosh, it doesn't hardly take any time just to another one and another one and another one. It's a beautiful thing. What kind of challenges have you uh, encountered as you scale the organization? Growing a management company has been a much greater challenge than actually acquiring and, and growing a real estate portfolio. Now we're having a lot of fun at it. And again, not to be too redundant here, what really changed the game for us was figuring out that the property management company is not a profit center. It is a necessary machine to execute our business plan on the assets we acquire. Also, three years ago, bringing in a partner for Sweat Equity on the acquisition side and now on the operating side, who's the exact opposite to me, has also been a game changer. Together, I would say to anybody out there, if you can find a partner that can fill in the other side, maybe you're the salesperson, the visionary, or maybe you're the operator, nose to the grindstone. If you can balance yourself out with a partner, it can be a significant game changer. For us, it's really helped bend the growth curve. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What kind of advice do you have for someone who wants to do what you've done, right? And they haven't done their first deal yet. What advice do you have for them? I think on the education side, I would spend as much time as I can listening to good content. Podcasts are a great source of, of information. Michael, I love yours. There's a few others I like. Constantly staying in that mindset. If you haven't underwritten 100 deals yet, LoopNet is not good for much other than finding broke relationships and just underwriting deals. Get on there, get as many offerings as you can and start looking at them and saying, okay, I know this is an overpriced LoopNet piece of junk, but what would make it a great deal? Once you get through a hundred of those, anyone, even a not so bright, sort of lazy guy like me can viscerally figure out what a good deal looks like. I think that's one of the best ways to learn and 
combining that with having some network relationship building goals, possible investors, brokers, people that could help you on your team, having even just small goals that you're doing on a daily basis returns great results. It's like anything else. It's not this one day you're going to spend 24 hours getting ready to buy a multifamily deal, right? It's these little things that we do every day that get us closer. Don't look at the summit. Focus on putting one foot in front of the other and the summit will take care of itself. And that's exactly how I treat business. As long as I know I'm on the right mountain, which I firmly believe is multifamily, I come in here every day and focus on putting one foot in front of the other and over and over again. I rarely look at my ultimate goals, the summit. It keeps me focused on, hey, what are the mission critical things I have to do today to move the chains, to move the needle, to make progress? Let's talk about making progress a little bit. We talk about success. I mean, we've done all this stuff to basically be financially free. You no longer have a W-2 job. And you've kind of already achieved that goal now. And now you're still pushing forward. And the question is, why? Why do I keep pushing forward? Yeah. Wow. There's a fire in my belly. But once you get the momentum you start having fun with it and you start seeing the possibilities of five deals, 10 deals, 20 deals and the kind of cash flow and the the freedom I can have. I've got three little kids. I've got a wife. You know, for us, we want to have this big life spiritually, travel, financial and have this freedom. That right there drives me more than anything. These little things that I do every day continue to build on themselves to where it becomes this habit. So for instance, we had this long Memorial Day weekend. We had some really great family time. We had a couple cookouts. And in between people over, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm reading some sales training I haven't read in a while. I'm catching up on some industry news. I'm I'm writing a little bit on bigger pockets. It becomes like this muscle that needs to be flexed. And that's not just because I'm some unique individual. It's because I've gotten this, this habit built by doing these little things every day. I remember I aspired to early retirement early on and I achieved this goal and I experienced what it's like to be retired and I traveled and this, that and the other thing. And after a while, you're like, you're scratching your head going, ah, man, is this really all there is, right? You kind of realign your, you know, what you thought your was your goal was. So we don't always live this kind of day, but what is your perfect day like, Ivan? Oh, man. There's a few different scenarios there. We go to Gulf Shores a, a couple of weeks every year, maybe four weeks a year, spread it out over two vacations. A perfect day there is getting up before the sun, getting a workout in, getting some mission critical emails out the door to some of our LP clients or some new relationships I'm looking to foster, putting the phone down and taking out my personal phone in airplane mode. So I've got uh, the ability to take pictures of the kids, spending the day on the beach, coming back for lunch, hanging out by the pool all afternoon, a few more mission critical calls to move the chains, updates with my partner, see where we're at on deal flow pipeline, and then put the phone down again and hanging out with my wife that evening. I get a lot of enjoyment. As you scale this business, more and more, you get to do the one or two things that you're really good at and that you love doing. And the best feeling is when you've got these other folks around you on the team that are executing in other areas where you're no good at anyways. One of my favorite stories of late, my management team, we had a fire at one of our apartments. Nine units caught on fire on a Sunday morning around 4 a.m. We had really quality feedback from the fire department. We had some positive feedback from the media. No one was hurt. All the smoke detectors were working. 
And again, this happened on a Saturday morning and I didn't hear about it till Tuesday because the team executed it perfectly without me being in, in the machine at all. I was elated at that moment when I found out. That's awesome. You know what? That does sound like a perfect day. And it's not just sitting by the pool, but it's doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that whenever you want to. Yeah. I love that. Ivan, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Call me 317-762-2625. 317-762-2625. That's my assistant's phone number. She manages my calendar better than I do. Yeah, get ready for the phone to ring, Ivan. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show and really had a, a lot of fun. And thanks for sharing your story and wisdom. As you can see, the key to Ivan's success is the first deal, even if it's just a lousy duplex. I used to think a long time ago that, man, go big or go home. Like, why would you ever do a duplex? You know, do the biggest deal you can. And I just see stories like Ivan's over and over again that people even that start with a duplex end up with hundreds of units and end up retiring within one to three years of starting that process. So I no longer think that duplexes are a waste of time. In fact, they're sometimes the easiest way to get into the multifamily game. And Ivan did it repeatedly with hard money loans. And these are relatively easy to get. Like you said, you just got to find the right person. And like so many other people I interview on the show, he would have loved to have bypassed this thing and started raising money for larger deals. That's okay. You got to start somewhere. But just know that you can start raising money from day one. You can bypass the duplex. You can go right to a 50 unit by raising money right now. And it's something that you can learn. It's not a skill that you're born with, or some people maybe are better than others. It's definitely something you can learn. And Ivan talks a lot about education. And if that's something you're interested in, check out my educational products at themichaelblanc.com forward slash products. Ivan mentioned the underwriting is so key to it. The underwriting is how you analyze deals. And I totally agree with him, which is why I have the syndicated deal analyzer. It's on that page, themichaelblanc.com forward slash products, a very, very affordable product probably the most popular multifamily analysis tool on the planet at this point. It just helps you analyze deals very, very quickly and accurately so that you can make offers with confidence. If you want more, we have an online training program. We have live events where you can experience what it's like to actually do a deal. It's called the Financial Freedom Summit. And we have a deal desk where you can actually upload your analysis and get feedback. It's called the Dealmaker's Mastermind. It's an online program, 700 people in that program. You get feedback in your analysis. And if you want us to partner with you to raise the money for that deal, you can do so as well. So check us out at themichaelblanc.com. If you're interested in investing with us as well, click on the invest link at the menu bar as well. If you want to find out more about our deal desk, click on the partner link at the top. Something for everyone. The point is, I want you to get into the multifamily game to build passive income so you can do whatever you want, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it. And multifamily is the best way to do that. Awesome, you guys. Appreciate it. If uh, you love the show, give me a review on iTunes. Love to see those as well. Also, expose the show to more people. Love you guys. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys later. Catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.